Today is April 18th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer, and I am super excited to be here with you today. Why am I super excited? Because I'm grateful that I get to do this. Grateful for each and every one of you. Grateful that I feel loved, appreciated, and supported. Grateful, now I'm about to sound like my mama, but because I've seen a few sunrises in my life and have seen the sun set on others, I get why she used to say this all the time. I'm grateful that I woke up this morning and grateful that I woke up in my right mind and grateful that my bed last night was not my cooling board. And I suppose to not be anachronistic, I should say, I'm glad it wasn't my mortuary table since cooling boards are no longer used, but you get the point. I am glad to be alive because each day brings with it new opportunities and new possibilities. Every day is another day to get it right, to do and be something great, to help somebody, to serve somebody, to make a difference in somebody's life, to carry out the vision for our own lives or create a new vision. Anybody feel me? How about you? Are you grateful today? Are you being intentional with your time, talent, and treasure? I'm challenging each of you. I'm challenging myself too to make today count. No matter what happened yesterday or what happens today, whatever we might be going through, as long as there is breath in our lungs, we can always reset, start anew, make peace with the past, and march onward. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where God put us here on earth to simply exist or even be stagnant. We are loved, we are supported, and we have everything we need to keep pressing toward the mark. So let's set an intention right now to get everything we need from this word today as we jump back into this story of Joshua and the Israelites. Joshua chapters 16 and 18, New Living Translation, the land given to Ephraim and West Manasseh. The allotment for the descendants of Joseph extended from the Jordan River near Jericho, east of the springs of Jericho, through the wilderness and into the hill country of Bethel. From Bethel, that is Luz, it ran over to Ataroth in the territory of the Archites. Then it descended westward to the territory of the Japhletites, as far as lower Beth Horon, then to Gezer, and over to the Mediterranean Sea. This was the homeland allocated to the families of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. The land given to Ephraim. The following territory was given to the clans of the tribe of Ephraim. The boundary of their homeland began at Ataroth Adar in the east. From there, it ran up to Upper Beth Haran, then on to the Mediterranean Sea. From Mithath on the north, the boundary curved eastward past Tayanath, Shiloh, to the east of Genoa. From Genoa, it turned southward to Adaroth and Nera, touched Jericho, and ended at the Jordan River. From Tapua, the boundary extended westward, following the Kana Ravine to the Mediterranean Sea. This is the homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Ephraim. In addition, some towns with their surrounding villages and the territory allocated to the half-tribe of Manasseh were set aside for the tribe of Ephraim. They did not drive the Canaanites out of Gezer, however, so the people of Gezer live as slaves among the people of Ephraim to this day. The land given to West Manasseh. 
the next allotment of land was given to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph's older son. Machir, the firstborn son of Manasseh, was the father of Gilead. Because his descendants were experienced soldiers, the regions of Gilead and Bashan on the east side of the Jordan had already been given to them. So the allotment on the west side of the Jordan was for the remaining families within the clans of the tribe of Manasseh, Abiezer, Helek, Azriel, Shechem, Hefer, and Shemida. These clans represent the male descendants of Manasseh, son of Joseph. However, Zolophahad, a descendant of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons. He had only daughters, whose names were Mala, Noah, Hubla, Milcah, and Terzah. These women came to Eleazar the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the Israelite leaders and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us a grant of land along with the men of our tribe. So Joshua gave them a grant of land along with their uncles, as the Lord had commanded. As a result, Manasseh's total allocation came to ten parcels of land, in addition to the land of Gilead and Bashan across the Jordan River, because the female descendants of Manasseh received a grant of land along with the male descendants. The land of Gilead was given to the rest of the male descendants of Manasseh. The boundary of the tribe of Manasseh extended from the border of Asher to Mechmethath near Shechem. Then the boundary went south from Mechmethath to the settlement near the spring of Tapua. The land surrounding Tapua belonged to Manasseh, but the town of Tapua itself, on the border of Manasseh's territory, belonged to the tribe of Ephraim. From the spring of Tapua, the boundary of Manasseh followed the Kana Ravine to the Mediterranean Sea. Several towns south of the ravine were inside Manasseh's territory, but they actually belonged to the tribe of Ephraim. In general, however, the land south of the ravine belonged to Ephraim and the land north of the ravine belonged to Manasseh. Manasseh's boundary ran along the northern side of the ravine and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. North of Manasseh was the territory of Asher and to the east was the territory of Issachar. The following towns within the territory of Issachar and Asher, however, were given to Manasseh. Beth Shan, Iblium, Dor, that is, Naphoth Dor, Endor, Tanakh, and Megiddo, each with their surrounding settlements. But the descendants of Manasseh were unable to occupy these towns because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. Later, however, when the Israelites became strong enough, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they did not drive them out of the land. The descendants of Joseph came to Joshua and asked, Why have you given us only one portion of land as our homeland when the Lord has blessed us with so many people? Joshua replied, If there are so many of you, and if the hill country of Ephraim is not large enough for you, clear out land for yourselves in the forest where the Perizzites and Rephaites lived. The descendants of Joseph responded, it's true that the hill country is not large enough for us, but all the Canaanites in the lowlands have iron chariots, both those in Bethshan and its surrounding settlements and those in the valley of Jezreel. They are too strong for us. Then Joshua said to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, the descendants of Joseph, since you are so large and strong, you will be given more than one portion. The forests of the hill country will be yours as well. Clear as much of the land as you wish, and take possession of its farthest corners, and you will drive out the Canaanites from the valleys too, 
even though they are strong and have iron chariots, the allotments of the remaining land. Now that the land was under Israelite control, the entire community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle. But there remained seven tribes who had not yet been allotted their grants of land. Then Joshua asked them, How long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? Select three men from each tribe, and I will send them out to explore the land and map it out. Then, one more time, they will then return to me with a written report of their proposed divisions of their new homeland. Let them divide the land into seven sections, excluding Judah's territory in the south and Joseph's territory in the north. And when you record the seven divisions of the land and bring them to me, I will cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord our God to assign land to each tribe. The Levites, however, will not receive any allotment of land. Their role as priests of the Lord is their allotment. And the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh won't receive any more land, for they have already received their grain of land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them on the east side of the Jordan River. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua commanded them, Go and explore the land and write a description of it. Then return to me, and I will assign the land to the tribes by casting sacred lots here in the presence of the Lord at Shiloh. The men did as they were told and mapped the entire territory into seven sections, listing the towns in each section. They made a written record and then returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. And there, at Shiloh, Joshua cast sacred lots in the presence of the Lord to determine which tribe should have each section. The land given to Benjamin. The first allotment of land went to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. It lay between the territory assigned to the tribes of Judah and Joseph. The northern boundary of Benjamin's land began at the Jordan River, went north of the slope of Jericho, then west through the hill country and the wilderness of beth Aven. From there, the boundary went south to Luz, that is Bethel, and proceeded down to Ataroth Adar on the hill that lies south of Lower Beth Haran. The boundary then made a turn and swung south along the western edge of the hill facing Beth Haran, ending at the village of Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerim, a town belonging to the tribe of Judah. This was the western boundary. The southern boundary began at the outskirts of Kiriath Jerim. From that western point, it ran to the spring at the waters of Nephtoah and down to the base of the mountain beside the valley of Ben-Hanam, at the northern end of the valley of Rephaim. From there, it went down the valley of Hanam, crossing south of the slope where the Jebusites lived, and continued down to Enrogel. From Enrogel, the boundary proceeded in a northerly direction and came to En-Shemesh and on to Geliloth, which is across from the slopes of Adamim. Then it went down to the stone of Bohan. Bohan was Reuben's son. From there, it passed along the north side of the slope overlooking the Jordan Valley. The border then went down into the valley, ran past the north slope of Beth Hogla, and ended at the north bay of the Dead Sea, which is the southern end of the Jordan River. This was the southern boundary. The eastern boundary was the Jordan River. These were the boundaries of the homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin the towns given to Benjamin. These were the towns given to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin, Jericho, Beth-Hogla, Emet-Kaziz, Beth-Arabah, 
Samaria, Bethel, Avim, Para, Ophrah, Kephara, Amani, Afni, and Geba, 12 towns with their surrounding villages. Also, Gibeon, Ramah, Beeroth, Mizpah, Kephira, Mozah, Rakim, Irpil, Terala, Zila, Haleth, the Jebusite town that is Jerusalem, Gibeah, and Kiriath-Jerim, 14 towns with their surrounding villages. This was the homeland allocated to the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 27. Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Parable of the Ten Servants The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Before he left, he called together ten of his servants and divided among them ten pounds of silver, saying, Invest this for me while I am gone. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We do not want him to be our king. After he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said you will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then, turning to the other standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, 
even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. Psalm 87, a song, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. On the holy mountain stands the city founded by the Lord. He loves the city of Jerusalem more than any other city in Israel. O city of God, what glorious things are said of you. I will count Egypt and Babylon among those who know me, also Philistia and Tyre, and even distant Ethiopia. They have all become citizens of Jerusalem. Regarding Jerusalem, it will be said, Everyone enjoys the rights of citizenship there, and the Most High will personally bless this city. When the Lord registers the nations, He will say, They have all become citizens of Jerusalem. The people will play flutes and sing, The source of my life springs from Jerusalem. Proverbs 13, verse 11 Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. So I often say thank you so much for joining me on this adventure when I'm closing out the podcast. And I thought today that I would explain in a little more depth exactly what I mean when I say that. So the way this Bible is set up, we all know that it is filled with high stakes drama, gripping action and captivating narratives that often have hidden meanings that we have to dig for, which makes engaging with it an adventure. But when I say adventure, I'm also tying this concept into our mission to become the best versions of ourselves, which requires us to face our fears, confront our doubts, and work through or overcome the obstacles that stand in the way of that. Now, when we engage with these sacred stories, we are invited into a world of wonder and awe where we witness the power and grace of God in action. We see figures who are flawed and imperfect, but who are able to rise above their circumstances and fulfill God's call on their lives, often helping others to fulfill theirs in the process. So when I say adventure, I'm talking about tapping into something deeper, something meaningful, something personally and specifically challenging. I'm talking about a risky or uncertain undertaking that requires your courage, your faith, and your sacrifice. An adventure is something that takes you out of your comfort zone. It tests your assumptions and transforms your character. This is how we become the best versions of ourselves. Now, you might be thinking, why would I want to intentionally do something daunting or difficult or something that I know is going to cause me discomfort? Where do you do that at? Well, the answer is this is literally the only way we can grow. This is the only way to become the best version of ourselves. This is how we build resilience, endurance, and strength. This is how we learn to fully trust God and get to know Him for ourselves. And also, how we discover fortitude and savvy that we never even knew we had. So is purposefully putting ourselves in situations that are beyond the boundaries of our comfort zones of complacency, scary or dangerous or hard? Yes, yes it is. But it is also rewarding, fulfilling and life-changing most significantly 
this may be the very thing that God is calling us to. Because here's the thing. I'm going to give you the affirmation early here. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. You can either choose to resist change, which you better believe is going to come and stay stagnant, or you can embrace it and choose growth. Y'all, God is not a boring God, not based on what I see. He is not a God who wants us to live an easy or comfortable life where we back down from adversity or don't confront our difficulties head on, or we try to avoid discomfort at every turn. Quite the opposite, actually. He's a God who wants us to live boldly, to embrace the risk of contending with the scary stuff we don't want to face, and to trust that He can and will see us through every single trial. He wants us to live a meaningful and purposeful life. He wants us to grow in our faith and in our relationship with Him. He wants us to serve Him and His kingdom with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. That requires some moxie and some backbone and some grit. And sometimes that means he's calling us to go on an adventure with him. Sometimes he's calling us to do something that seems impossible or improbable or impractical. He calls us to leave behind what is familiar or comfortable or secure. Sometimes he's calling us to face our fears or our doubts or our haters. Sometimes he says, I need you to sacrifice that right there, or I need you to step out on faith right here. I'm not going to reveal the whole thing to you. I need you to trust me. But he never calls us to do something without a reason or a purpose or a promise. He never calls us to do something without his guidance, presence, or his power. He never calls us to do something without his love, his grace, or his mercy. These things are always there for us no matter what, and that's on Mary had a little lamb. And this part, he never calls us to do something that he hasn't done himself. Think about it. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who were called by God to go on an adventure with him. And if we have eyes to see, each one of them reveals something about God's character and his plan for our lives. Abraham had to leave his homeland and go to a place that God would show him where he would become the father of many nations. He learned God's faithfulness and got a covenant out of the deal. Moses had to confront Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He learned about God's power and his protection, his holiness, and his deliverance. How about David? David was chosen to face Goliath and became the king of Israel, where he faced many enemies and trials. But he was the recipient of God's sovereignty and his mercy and earned the title of being a man after God's own heart. Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. He faced persecution, imprisonment, and shipwreck. But he learned about God's grace, didn't he? And his power like nobody's business. Jesus himself left his heavenly glory and became a whole human being where he suffered, died, and rose again for the salvation of the world. What greater adventure is there than this? None. Zero. And the women of the Bible were just as daring and courageous as their male counterparts, maybe even more so in some cases. They didn't back down from their adventures. Come on here, Deborah. Deborah was a whole military commander who showed us that with the Lord on our side, we can tackle even the most daunting odds. She summoned Barak, a whole man, to lead, I think it was 10,000 troops against the Canaanites, prophesied and secured the bag and the victory. 
Esther had to put her life on the line and approach the king to save her people from genocide. She learned about God's providence and his justice too. Ruth demonstrated her courage when she left her homeland, that's an adventure, and followed her mother-in-law Naomi to Bethlehem. Her loyalty, her kindness, and her faithfulness made her one of King David's and Jesus' ancestors. Talk about a reward for your service. Rahab, whose story we just covered, the prostitute from Jericho, she let the Israelite spies hide out at her crib, confessed her faith in God, and because she did that, she and her family were saved from Jericho when it was destroyed, and she too became one of Jesus's kindred. Talk about diversity and inclusion. Jesus has all kinds of people in his lineage. Mm-hmm. And I could go on because there's Priscilla, there's Mary, there's Jael. Look them up because I'm already doing too much, but y'all know I got to say something about Tamar because she was so slick with it. She posed as a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law Judah so she could secure her future and her family line. Her actions may seem scandalous to us, but she did what needed to be done. She took a huge risk because she was almost dragged to her death. Y'all remember that? But in the end, she too was blessed by God and became one of the ancestors of Jesus. Have I made my point? Do y'all see the pattern here? These stories are not just tales of old. They are examples of how we should live our own lives. We may not be called to confront a Pharaoh or face a Goliath, but we are called to be bold and daring in our faith, to follow God's plan for our lives, and to not be scared to do that thing that we've been trying to hide from or avoid. Nobody ever sat their way to greatness. You got to get up and do something. God is calling us to follow Him wherever He leads us, to do whatever He asks us to do, to be whoever He wants us to be. He is calling us to trust Him, to obey Him, and to love Him. He is calling us to grow, to serve, and to glorify His name. He is calling us to live a life that matters, a life that makes a difference, a life that reflects His image and His nature. He is calling us to an adventure. Are you ready to answer his call? Are you ready to really go on this epic adventure with me? Because I'm doing it. I am. Don't leave me out here by myself. I need y'all. Seriously, though, to get God's best, you're going to have to be willing to do some stuff that you may not be all that eager to do. But I'll tell you this, and this is my final thought, and I'm out of here. We are not meant to live a safe or comfortable life, but rather a meaningful and purposeful one. We are not called to conform to the world, but rather to transform it. We are not called to avoid suffering, but rather to endure it with hope and joy. We're not called to seek our own glory, no ma'am, no sir, but rather to glorify God. Jesus didn't die for us to be average. He died so we might enjoy the abundant life in Him. God has given you a place in His story. He has given you a purpose in his plan. He has given you, shout about this, a portion in his inheritance. Don't let anyone or anything distract or deter you from getting what's yours. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word and to play a part in your larger story. We thank you for the stories of your servants who went on an adventure with you. We thank you that we have their example. 
We thank you for your call to each one of us, and we are willing to follow you wherever you lead us, to do whatever you ask us to do, to be whoever you want us to be, because we trust you, we believe in you, we have faith, and we know that this is the way to honor you and show you how much we appreciate all that you have given us. We will not be like the servant who buried the treasure and did nothing with it. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who showed us the way, the way of obedience, the way of faithfulness, the way of sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for his love that led him to die for us and rise again for our salvation. Lord, we thank you for his grace that empowers us to live for you and that saves us from ourselves. Lord, we thank you for Holy Spirit who is with us, in us, and through us. We thank you for the gifts, for the fruits, and the wisdom. Lord, we thank you for his work in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Lord, we ask you to help us answer this call. Help us to rise up. Help us to trust you, to obey you, to follow you. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to serve in your kingdom. Help us to do what we need to do and not be afraid of the discomfort that we might feel, to not be afraid of who's not going to be with us, to not be afraid of having to do it alone if that's what it takes because we know that you are with us. Lord, help us to live a life that matters, a life that matters to you, a life that makes you proud. Lord, we ask all of these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And our affirmation for today, change is the price of growth, adventure is the reward of risk. I welcome the former and rock with the latter. Change is the price of growth, adventure is the reward of risk. I welcome the former and I rock with the latter. And our aphorism, change is inevitable, growth is optional, progress is a choice, and the choice that we make is the one that defines our character. I am so grateful to have you as my companions on this journey, and I hope that this podcast adds value to your life in some way, that it has been a source of encouragement, of inspiration, of motivation and hope please leave a rating spread the word and keep showing love on social so that we can continue to grow as a community and so that those who need to hear the love and message of jesus christ can find their way here if you ever want to support me and my labor of love know that i appreciate you and your generosity infinitely and you can do that at versesandflow.com Every gift is a blessing, and I pray that God rewards you abundantly in all that you put your heart, mind, and hands to. That is all I have for you today. Thank you for being on this epic adventure with me. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. You belong here, and we belong together on this journey. I love you, and I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.